There is one retail store, I'm going to put it that way, that um, part of our family loves to visit together. And when this retail store is suggested, you know, there's like, yeah, you know, that'd be awesome. And then part of the family just kind of tolerates visiting together. It's uh, then that, you know, that, that part of the family kind of goes, oh, you know, and then there's a sigh. Um, so let me, give you, let me give you a hint. Next slide here. What do you, what do you think? Any? Ikea. That's right. So just the blue and the yellow. They've done a great job in branding because just looking at the colors, some of you know that is Ikea. And those of you who have been to Ikea, it is a huge place. So part of our family loves this and they, they you know, love seeing all the different things and the small rooms and how it's organized. Uh, but by the end of the visit, the majority, almost all of the family is ready to leave except one person. And that person is Kim. She likes to go into every little room and down every aisle just to see, are there new products? Are there different ideas that I can get? And so about halfway through, let's look at the next slide. I mean, look at that. that that's the maze you go through, right? You kind of go through this maze and all throughout, you know, I'm kind of like, hun, hey, you know, there's, there's a shortcut. See these, see these things here? You know, there's shortcuts. And so I'm like, you know, we've been here, been here a couple hours, babe, you know, you, you want to just kind of go through the shortcut and we can go ahead and make it, you know, to the, uh, to the, to the register if, you, if you've got anything. Most of the time she doesn't buy anything. She just loves to look and, and look around. And I'm like, hun, you know, it's, it, it's been like a half a day affair here. I mean, you know, can we kind of, can we kind of get ahead? But in a sense, in spiritual, in our spiritual life, in the, in the world that we live in, there's probably about 10 to 12 major religions or kind of religious thought, you know, major, major divisions of religion. Now, off of that, there are literally thousands of different branches and, and divisions off of those 10 to 12 major religions. In, in, a, in, a, in a map, if you were to map out kind of the religious uh, culture of the world, in a sense, it would look like this. I mean, the way just goes all different directions. And some people say, no, I've got a shortcut to life and satisfaction. I've got a shortcut to God. I can, you know, you can do this way. And it's difficult sometimes, what is the way? How do you know, you know, what is the way of all of these things? And like Ikea, where sometimes, especially the first couple times that I was there, I had to think, okay, where do we, where do we go now? I mean, there's just like this maze. And spiritually, in the world, that's what happens. But Jesus made it very clear. Jesus made it very clear that there is only one way. The next slide will show two signs. This is in North Hollywood, California. And, and one, you know, one sign says, one way. The other sign is pretty clear. Do not enter. Wrong way. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing in John chapter 14. He's saying, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ideas. There's a lot of different things uh, and paths that people go. But there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to, to God, and that is through me. Last year, or not last year, last Sunday, uh, we looked at the destination uh, of being the home in heaven and all the blessings that we can look forward to about a, a heavenly home. Not just because there's not going to be tears, not just because there's not going to be any sickness, but primarily what we saw last week is because Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and then I'm coming back so that you can be with me. That's the main reason that we should look forward to heaven is to be with Christ. And uh, as I thought about this more, um, 
you know, as Jesus spent time with his disciples, his disciples did not sit around Jesus and just sing to him, you know, for three years. They walked, they did things, they laughed, they probably cried together, they, 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 they shared a lot of life experiences, and I, I think there's a lot in heaven that we don't quite know what it's going to be like. Yes, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship, and we're going to fall to our knees, uh, we, we even read in Revelation, but I believe there's going to be a lot of interaction and, and, and enjoying just the presence of Jesus. And as we think about that, may that draw us to, to look forward to that day. And for those of you who don't know Christ as your Savior, may that encourage you to take that step and to accept Jesus by faith and accept the gift of salvation. So we saw the destination, uh, the detours, of course, the bad times can distract us as believers you know, we get so focused on what's happening in our life, even the good times. Man, I think I've got life figured out. Yeah, Jesus is part of it, but I've got the rest of it figured out. And sometimes that can distract us. For those who don't know Christ, there's, as we looked at last week, there's several other things. Uh, rejection, just flat out, no, I don't believe God exists. I, I think I've got it figured out another way. I think I've, I've understood and I know the way of how life works. Religion. As I've already mentioned, 10 to 12 major religions, thousands of religious ways of thought and rituals that need to be done and ways to earn favor with God or a superpower or the afterlife. And so religion can be a permanent detour in keeping someone from enjoying that destination that Christ is preparing. Morality followers, some may say, oh, I'm not really a whole lot about religion, but I'm just a good person. So we saw all those things last week, but I want to focus in and zoom in on John chapter uh, 14. Let's start in verse 2 again to get the context. Jesus is now beginning to say, I am the way. I'm not a way, I'm the way. John 14, 2, it says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus is both the path and the person. He, he both shows us the way and he is the way. And we see that next in the next couple of verses. And if I go and prepare a place for you, John 14, 3, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Now, it becomes very clear that this is an exclusive path in a sense, but yet it's all-inclusive in another way. Okay, it, in our society, we're, we're familiar, and I would say probably a lot of societies around the world, we're, we are familiar with the idea of being excluded from something, from a place, from a service. Let me give you an example. Several years back, we were uh, in the States for a brief visit. We were still serving in Brazil, and we were trying to reconnect with a church in North Georgia. In fact, uh, that particular church uh, uh, Tabernacle Baptist Church sent two of their young men uh, this past summer to serve with plant camp. So we're trying to connect with that church and give an update. And they had arranged housing for us. Uh, the pastor was not in town that weekend, but the deacon would, uh, one of the deacons had helped, you know, arrange housing. And it was from a family that was also out of town, but had graciously said, yeah, they, they can stay at our house. We had never even met them. We, we, I, to this day, I have not met them personally. But they said, yes, they can stay um, in our mountain home there, and, uh, and, and we'd love for them to be there. So we 
went to the church. We had a, a I think it was a Wednesday night or maybe a Sunday night uh, meeting. I know it was a, a night meeting. And then they, we were given the address to drive up to this house that we were supposed to stay in. We were given a code for the gated community. We pull up, you know, there's huge hill, actually a mountain that we're about to drive up as we kind of enter this gated community. I punch in the code and nothing happens. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'll hold my tongue a little different and I'll punch it again. You know, you know and I do this and I, and I press enter and I press, you know, the star and I press the pound key and I do all these different things. And eventually it's pretty clear this code is not working. And it's already dark, it's late. So I call, uh, I call Scott, the deacon. I say, hey, Scott, you know, we're here. We're at the bottom of the mountain. We're, we're punching in that code you gave us, and nothing's happening. Oh, really? Try it again. I'm like, okay, I'll try it again the tenth time. Nothing. He says, oh, my goodness. All right, well, let me see if I can get a hold of the family, you know, who's, who's uh, opened the house for you. We wait there for a few minutes. Nothing. He finally calls back and says, I just I can't get a hold of the family. So... Uh, let me brainstorm. All right, David, I got it. I have a friend who's a fireman. The firemen have a universal code to this community. That's when you get an idea that it's a small town, right? Because he's like, I'll call my friend, my fireman friend, and let me see if he can give me the universal code for you to punch in as if a fireman would to get in the community. I'm like, that's, that sounds great to me. We just, we just like to go somewhere, you know, and sleep. And, and we got small kids, and they're getting a little restless. He said, I didn't tell him all that, of course, but I was thinking. And the kids were screaming. And uh, so he did call a fireman, and a few minutes back, he says, all right, try this code. Doot, 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 doot. You know, it opens up, and we're able to get in the community. We were almost excluded from this gated community. And you've experienced things like that. If you show up at Planet Fitness this afternoon and you don't have a, a subscription, if you don't have a membership, you're not going to get in. Uh, there, just a, a little while ago, there was a, a, a friend of ours put a public post on the Facebook page and said, this was public to everybody, if you received a private invitation to our wedding reception, please RSVP soon. For all the rest, we look forward to seeing you at our wedding at such and such a time in such and such a location. Well, we did not get a private invitation. So, you know, Kim and I were talking. I guess, you know, we're not, and a lot of other people are not going to the reception because we didn't get the, only a few invitations were sent out. This is very different than what Christ is saying. Because on the other hand, Christ is not saying, no, there's just a few. There's just, you know, the, the, this is not an, an open invitation. No, there's, there's just, no, in fact, uh, we see in John chapter 7 and verse 37, notice uh, what Jesus says. Let's go back to that. Sorry. Anybody seen on a church sign this phrase, you know, all are welcome? That was more common a little bit in the past. Now the phrase, all are welcome, sometimes can be misconstrued like, yeah, all are welcome and all are celebrated. doesn't matter what you believe. doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't, you know, just as long as you say Jesus, everything's celebrated. That's not biblical. The principle that all are welcome actually comes from the head of the church, Jesus Christ, and some of the invitations that he made. Let's look. Let's look. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The end of the, of the New Testament, Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. 
appreciate how uh, one of my, my friends uh, put it in his commentary. Notice this next statement. But Christianity is not exclusive because of who it lets in. Christianity is exclusive because there's only one way to get in. He is the way, not a way. And that's it. It's exclusive in the sense that there's only one entrance. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to God the Son, Jesus Christ. It's not exclusive in that the invitation cannot be made to all. Jesus made the invitation to all. We're to make the invitation to all. But it is exclusive in that there's only one way to it. There's not thousands of ways, as religions of the world would like to say. You just kind of choose whatever way looks good to you and kind of fits your, your mindset or maybe even your culture or how you grew up. And then you just be sincere and we're all going to get to the same place. Jesus says, no. There is, I am the way. It is exclusive. There is one way to salvation and to life in heaven. Christ claimed, in fact, to be the only way. Let's look again at John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is perhaps one of the most controversial statements that Jesus made during his life and ministry. If Jesus had said, I am a way, I am a good way, I am an option, you know, I hope that you will follow me, then it would be a lot more, uh, it'd be a lot easier for the world to accept. But that's not what he said. Jesus, in fact, made it clear, no, I am the way. This phrase became so common that throughout the book of Acts, you'll notice at least six times that followers of Jesus Christ are referred to as following the way. That phrase is used, and you'll see that through the book of Acts. So, in essence, others had, had understood Christ's claim. Now, they had, had not all believed it, but at least it was so common of what Christ taught, of what his followers taught, that they began to be known as followers of the way, Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at Christ's claim a little more closely. Um, he, he not only says he's the way, of course, in John chapter 10, he says, I am th- the door. So again, an exclusive entrance. You, you can't jump over the sheepfold. You know, I am the door. I am the way. How can he claim that? He's, uh, he claimed to be the truth. He could claim to be the way because then the, next, the very next claim is, I am the truth. I am the truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. Okay, as I admitted last Sunday that uh, I I am a little bit directionally challenged in the sense that, you know, I use GPS a lot. I want to avoid traffic. I want to avoid accidents. But that can get you into trouble sometimes. Here's a couple examples, true life examples of what can happen. Okay, 2019, outside of Denver, Colorado, people were headed to the airport trying to catch a flight. And all of a sudden, an accident stopped traffic on the highway. So Google Maps then began to redirect dozens of drivers to an alternate route. The only problem was this alternate route was through farmlands. That's what happened. Got a bunch of people stuck in the mud. So it was supposed to cut the time in half. They were in a traffic jam, headed to the airport, trying to get to, to their flight. They were like, oh, wow, there's an alternate route here. Google Maps. I mean, how can Google Maps be wrong? Let's follow it. And after all, there's tons of other cars going the same route. You know? And then, boom, oh, stuck. Another one, stuck. 
And so there's this now traffic jam in the middle of farmland. Notice the next picture. People are out of their cars, you know, thinking, what, this was, Google, did Google Maps send you here? Yeah, Google Maps sent me here. So this is the way we were supposed to go. It was, Google Maps was showing a way, but it wasn't the right way. Next, okay, 2009, this driver, uh, his name is, let's say, Robert Jones from England. Uh, he was in a different area. He was trying to get back to his house, following GPS. And he noticed that the, the path was getting pretty rough, but he continued to go. And then all of a sudden, he came to a screeching stop at the top of a 100-foot cliff. And he said, you know, I, I noticed that it was rough, but I, I just thought that this is, must be the way to go. And in, in fact, his GPS had led him down a footpath and not a road to be traveled by a car. He was spared, nobody was killed. Uh, but notice what he says later about the experience. This is his quote. I'm extremely disappointed. I was using the sat-nav, another name for GPS. I was using the sat-nav properly, but users should be made more aware that they should only use them as a guide. And then he said this, I still use mine. It's the only time it's ever let me down. Well, yeah, Robert, but it almost like let you down 100 feet. I mean, you almost died in following your sat-nav because, but yet he's like, hey, only one time. It's only let me down one time, but that's all it takes, you know, depending on how you go. Let, let, let's do one more, okay? This just happened this last summer, but it did not only happen once. It happened twice in this period of about five weeks in a harbor in Hawaii, where two drivers following their GPS were led to follow or go down a boat ramp and without really paying attention of, oh wow, there's boats around us, there's a body of water in front of us, these two individuals, I'm not gonna say what gender or anything like that, but these two, <laughs> these two individuals drove right into the water. I mean, just boom, within five weeks this last summer and both of them said, we were following our GPS. Thankfully, they made it out alive, extremely soaking wet. Their cars probably totaled. Uh, but all of that to say, as GPS shows us ways to go, but they weren't the right ways. And spiritually, there are a lot of people out there. There are a lot of religions. There's a lot of ideas saying, no, hey, this is the way. In fact, many people are following this way. And so as humans, sometimes like, oh, wow, a multitude. Whoo, okay, bye. And Jesus is saying, I am the way. There is no other way. Don't be distracted by all these other things. Don't be distracted by those who say, forget God. There's no such thing as God. We can figure this out. Don't be distracted by the thousands of religions that just go on and base things out of context. Don't be distracted by the idea that you can be good enough and kind of earn your favor with God. Jesus says very clearly, I am the way. Now notice even more than that, why, why can we try? He says he is the truth. Notice what John chapter 1 and four, uh, verse 14 says. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and what? Truth. Then John chapter 1 and verse 17, a few verses later. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So several times, just in the book of John, we have evidence, we have claims that Jesus is the truth. No one in this room this morning could stand up and say, I am the truth. 
In fact, if anybody stood up and said, I am the truth, like about everything, everybody else would know that person's either like out of his mind or out of her mind or just completely arrogant and and deceive themselves. Because none of us, it doesn't matter how smart you are, it doesn't matter how uh, far you've made it into your profession or into your sport or whatever it is, not a single human can claim accurately that they know or that they are the truth in every area of life. It's impossible. I mean, think about it this way. Um, Michael Phelps did not ask Bill Gates to be a swimming coach. Michael Phelps, extremely talented. Bill Gates, extremely talented leader, very successful businessman. But Michael Phelps didn't call Bill Gates, hey, would you, would you be my swimming coach? If he had, Bill Gates probably would be like, what? I mean, I, I might could sponsor you, but I, I can't coach you. I mean, I know how to swim, but I mean, you, no, I can't do that. Jeff Bezos doesn't call Simone Biles, uh, probably considered to be the best gymnast in the world right now, but Jeff Bezos doesn't call Simone Biles and go, hey, Simone, um, how should I run Amazon? They're both extremely talented. They're both extremely successful in their fields. If you were to go to Kennestone Hospital, if you are going to go to Emory, if you are going to go to any hospital in our region, not one single uh, doctor is going to call uh, LeBron James or is going to call Tom Brady and say, Hey, LeBron, hey, Tom, you know, I have this case here, and uh, I just wanted to give you a call and see what you thought, you know, the treatment should be um, for this patient of mine at the hospital. Not one. LeBron James, extremely talented. Tom Brady, extremely talented individuals, but yet limited in their fields. And so Jesus Christ makes the claim, I am the way, and then he doesn't say, I am a truth, I speak the truth, I know a lot of truth. He says, no, I am the truth. That's why we can trust in him. Now, why else? What other evidence does he give? Because he also says, I am the life. I am the life. John 14, 6, once again, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Okay, I mean, that's a bold claim, but, but how? I mean, how, how do we know? Well, first of all, look at, he bases this on his authority. He bases this on his authority. Notice verse 7 of John chapter 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, again, I'm thankful that the New Testament, this, this I believe, is a huge factor in why we can believe the Bible is accurate. Because it includes things like we're about to read. It includes Questions that we as followers of Christ now look back at and we kind of smile. We kind of think, you know, how, how foolish, you know, how, goodness, uh, how, how embarrassing. But notice the question that Philip says. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and that's enough for us. Okay, I mean, you know, you're talking in coded language, Jesus, but, but show us the Father and, and that'll be enough. I mean, that, that's all we ask. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I mean, notice this language, friends. The Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father, notice, who dwells in me. 
does his works. This is not any typical father-son relationship. Let's look at the last verse here. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This goes way beyond any similarity between father-son. Often, as I go into places and uh, in, in, in areas and groups where there are people who know my father, Greg Huffman, even if my dad is not there, and sometimes, even if the people have not met me before, when they see me, sometimes they will ask, are, are you Greg Huffman's son? I'm like, yeah, I am. Oh, wow, we could tell. But this goes far beyond that because never in my 47 years has, have I said anything like, yeah. I mean, if you've seen me, you know, the, you know Greg Huffman because Greg Huffman is in me. I mean, Greg Huffman dwells like inside of me. Because just like you responded, people would be like, you are crazy. What do you mean Greg Huffman? Greg Huffman's maybe in another state, right? How do you say that? But Jesus is making a claim. He says, listen, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life based on the authority that I have as God the Son. God the Father is in me. I'm an expression. I am part of the Trinity, the triune God. And we're going to see here in a few minutes, the Holy Spirit comes into light. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You have God the Trinity all in this passage in John chapter 14. And Jesus is saying, I can make these claims, not because I'm just any man, but I am the son of man, which is a term that's used to refer to him as the Messiah, as Jesus, as the promised one. That's why I can claim that I am the way, the truth, and the life, based on his authority. Now, many of you have either experienced this as kids, or you have used this tactic as parents. Hear it out. So, something's happening, you hear some quabbles, you know, one of your children comes down, perhaps, comes into your room or your office and goes, so and you know, blah, 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 this happened. And then sometimes I'll say, all right, listen closely. I want you to go back right now, and I want you to say that dad says this. And whatever I say, you, you, you make it clear that this is coming from dad. This isn't you anymore. This is a message from dad. Then, you know, child, dun, 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 I can hear Dad says, so based on my authority, then that person makes the claim. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, is saying, this isn't just an empty claim. I am making this based on the authority that God the Father dwells in me. And then he, 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 at the very end, he's like, and if you don't believe that, believe in the works that you're seeing. The fiercest critics of Jesus in his day did not deny that Jesus was doing amazing works. That is phenomenal. The fiercest critics that wanted to see Jesus dead, they still said, look at the works that he's doing. All people are going to him. What should we do? Perhaps we should kill him. So they did not deny that he was doing miraculous things. And so Jesus even, he makes reference to that. I have the authority, that's why I'm telling you things, but if you don't believe on that account, believe in the works that you're seeing. Go on. We also see that this is based on his promises. Based on his promises. John chapter 14 and verse 12, we see that he promise, promises an empowered life. An empowered life. John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Wow. That's interesting. I mean, we're talking about a man who has raised Lazarus from the dead. We're talking about a man who just said the word and, and the father went back and his son was healed. We're talking about a man who took fish and, and bread and fed 5,000 people plus, uh, probably up to, upwards to 8,000. But yet he says, my followers are going to do, do more than me. Now, I think it's very interesting, as we're going to see at the end of this message, that Jesus will, tells them, I'm going away, but I'm always going to be with you through the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes the contrast we think of, and one commentator really pointed this out as I was studying, it's interesting, some of the contrasts that are made are, okay, what did Jesus do while he was on earth? What did his followers do? You know, let's compare the two. The idea really should be, Jesus did many great things on earth, in fact, that you and I cannot replicate. I'm not going to go to any cemetery today and say, hey, so-and-so, come forth, but yet, because Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who he sent, who now dwells within me as a believer, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, then collectively as the body of Christ, we're doing a much more expansive ministry than Christ did while he was on earth. The comparison should not be, you know, are we doing greater things uh, than Jesus did? Or how is Jesus now working through us as believers to do more expansive ministry around the world, in locations that Jesus never existed—not existed—in locations that he never physically went, to to people groups that Jesus personally, in his incarnate life on Earth, never personally ministered to, but yet through his followers and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we are. We live an empowered life. I think you know it, Jesus obviously did not have an iPad, he didn't have an iPhone, there were no laptops, uh, the internet was not around, but do you think Jesus knew about the power of technology that would come, you know, in our, in our lifetime? Absolutely. I'm amazed that in, in a couple seconds, something can be posted, something about the gospel, uh, training literature for the Bible, leadership training for nationals all over the world can be posted, and within seconds, it can reach the other side of the world. It's amazing. The disciples had no clue about that, but that is part of what God is saying, that, listen, there's going to be a much more expansive ministry through you all. Even, even before all the technology, I mean, we've been flying as humans for a long time. And it always amazed me that we could board a flight in Atlanta, Georgia, the Hartsville Airport, in the evening, and then arrive in Sao Paulo, Brazil, 4,500 miles away the next morning, within about nine hours of travel, walk off the plane, and personally be able to look at Brazilians and be with Brazilians and say, hey, I want to show you the message of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. In a matter of time that most people in Atlanta are still headed to work, working, and heading home, we could go all the way to Brazil personally and share the gospel. That's part of the empowered life that God gives us, much more important as the Holy Spirit indwells us to do that for his glory. Based on his promises, an empowered life. Also, an accompanied life. John chapter 14 and verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Praise the Lord for that. Some, some translations have this as I will not leave you comfortless. 
will not leave you abandoned. I will not leave you as orphans. Now notice what Jesus says next to lay a foundation to this claim. John chapter 14, then verses 19 and 20. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I believe this is specifically talking about his resurrection. I believe that Jesus is saying there's going to there's come a time very shortly that the world, those who don't believe in me, those who have rejected me, they're not going to see me anymore, but you will. And in that day, you're going you're gonna to see and you're going to believe even more. Your, strength is gonna, your belief is going to be strengthened to see me, uh, that, I, that I died, that I was buried, and that I rose again. And it will be a powerful reminder that I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you as abandoned. But I will be with you always. You know, in the moment... For the disciples, it may have seemed to them like they had lost their connection with this Messiah, with this you know, miraculous God the Son for the last three years. And Jesus is saying, it may appear that way, but wait. But wait, you're going to see that I'll be with you. You're going to see me. You're going to be encouraged by that. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says, He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In our culture, we appreciate the idea of personal interaction. Uh, you, you have personal trainers. I used the, the illustration earlier, Planet Fitness, and you can pay a little bit more, and you can have personal trainers at Planet Fitness. If you were to ever climb Mount Everest, you can hire Sherpas to, to help guide you and to be your personal hiking guide and Sherpa all the way up the mountain and, the, and back down because they know the way. They've been there. And we, we appreciate that, that personal presence. And Christ says, listen, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. May 1st, 2023, so just a few months ago, Leslie... Mukultoy, Soleni Mukultoy, Leslie's 13, Soleni Mukultoy, 9 years old, Tien Mukultoy, 4 years old, and Kristen, just an infant, and many of you heard this story, they were stranded in the Amazon jungle. After a plane accident, their mother had died, the pilot had died, and now these four kids are left in the jungle. And I have not been deep into the Amazon jungle, but I've been in some jungle areas in Brazil, areas that we kind of knew where we were going, and I would not want to be lost. Let me just say that. And these four kids then for 40 days are left to survive on their own. Can you imagine the thoughts that they had? Can you imagine that the fears that they had to face? Can you imagine the questions that the younger kids were asking the older kids? Can you imagine the tears that were shed for 40 days, the despair? And Jesus is reminding the disciples, that's not going to happen to you. That, that, that I, I'm not just going to die and you're not just going to be left abandoned. You can know that you're going to have an accompanied life. Next, we see that we have a guided life in John chapter 14 and verse 21. And this is another promise of Jesus, our Messiah. John 14 and verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 
So in addition to the presence of Christ that's manifested through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, in addition to that, he has given us guidelines through his word. He's given us commandments to be able to follow in life. These are tried and tested instructions that we have in his word. This is not like a random Simon Says game. God's not like up in, ha- up, up in heaven and barking out, you know, orders. Um, do this, do that, do this. In fact, also, we don't see in Scripture, God is not this, this, this ogre in heaven who, you know, is barking out commands. And then if you, let me ask, as part of this illustration, anybody played um, poetry for Neanderthals? You played the game poetry for Neanderthals? Oh, goodness, we, we have to do this as a church. Okay, so poetry for Neanderthals, you you have to say these things, but only in one-syllable words. You can't say two-syllable words. So you end up talking very funny, and then somebody is sitting next to you with like this big blown-up bat. But it's plastic, you know, so it's not it's not you know going to hurt you. But it's this big blown-up bat, and if you say a two-syllable word, the guy the person next to you is boom, it beats you on the head. It's kind of fun, actually. Sometimes I think that we, as followers of Christ, look at God this way. God gives us commands, and he's got all these things, and then God's up in heaven kind of looking, okay, uh, oh, David didn't follow that command, boom, cancer. David didn't do that, boom, car accident. David didn't do that, boom. That's not what God is. That's not what he is all about. He gives us his commandments for our good. Because he wants us to experience life as he has designed it. He wants us as, as husbands to know what a marriage is to look like and representation of Christ in the church. And as we follow those guidelines, then we can enjoy a marriage that, that honors Christ and that we are blessed by like no other way, like no other worldly source could ever lead us to because it's the tried and tested commandments and guidelines of Christ. As we develop friendships and as God gives us in his words those guidelines, again, those are things that we can enjoy as we experience and follow our Savior. Christ's instructions will enjoy us, will help us to enjoy according to his planning, uh, money and uh, activities, sex within marriage. It's been a gift, but has been so distorted. There's so many things that as humans try to kind of find their own way, then end up leading and going to the path of destruction. Notice what John 15, 10, and 11 says about the commandments. And I think we're going to get even more detailed into this the next two Sundays as we look at the seventh I am statement of I am the vine and trusting and abiding in Christ. But notice in John chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now notice verse 11 of John 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy, what? May be full. Now I'm not saying that our life, you know, with Christ is just going to be this easy life and there's no difficulties and we'll never get cancer and we'll never be in car accidents. But what I am saying is that God is not uh, dealing out these, these blows of like penalties at any given moment. He loves us. He gives us these commands for our good. And we would be wise to humbly submit to him and say, God, Jesus, I want to trust in you, not just as the, as the way to eternal life, but I want to trust you as the way to my earthly life, 
Every step that I take, every step that I take as a man, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, as a neighbor, all areas of my life should be affected by how you are the way, the truth, and the life. Help me to live a guided life. John 14, 21 also reveals a love-filled life. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, I cannot imagine, friends, a world where everything is virtual and mechanic. I mean, I think it already is bad enough. I'll be honest with you, I do not like to go into a restaurant where I have to order on a kiosk screen. I don't like it. Now, if you're a restaurant owner and you put kiosk screens, God bless. I hope it works out for you. But I don't like it. I like to look at a person and I like to make my order. And I like to say, I want extra pickles on my sandwich. And I want a lemon in my drink. I don't want to have to be looking through, you know, this, this mechanical, loveless, you know, impersonal screen to make my order. That's just one simple illustration of how a, a mechanical and a, a life just that's, that's no love, how empty that can be. And Jesus said, that is not the life that I want you to experience. As you follow my commands, as you love me, know, know that you will be loved. You'll be loved with my love and you're going to be loved with God the Father's love. You will not be left without love. Then we also see the promise of a peace-filled life. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. We desire peace in our hearts, we desire peace in our homes, we want peace for our nation, and we dream of a day when there may be peace in the world. And that's it, that's only it, folks. We're only going to be able to dream of that because there's never going to be complete peace until uh, the coming of Christ. But we, we want peace. And Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead. Christ made us alive. And he, I love this phrase in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, he is our peace. Amen? That's something we can celebrate. That we, we, we search for peace. Billions of dollars and efforts are, are, are spent to try to maintain or secure peace. And spiritually, the greatest need of all the world is to be able to look and, and understand that Christ says, I'm it. I am your peace. I can bring you peace. I can give you that. In fact, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are reasons that we can trust that Christ is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. His authority and his promises. Now I want to close on a beautiful part of this passage that we skipped over so far in a a large way. Leaving, but always with you. Time and time again, throughout the end of John chapter 13, the beginning of John chapter 14, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, I'm leaving, I'm not going to be with you soon. He he continues to say this. Notice in John chapter 14 and verse 28. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. So he's telling him again, I'm leaving. But then notice John chapter 14, 16 and 17. So we're backing up and, and I skipped part of this. It's a beautiful part of the passage. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper 
to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a huge difference that Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I'm with you now. The Holy Spirit is with you. But soon there's going to be a day, and we see this happen at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Soon there will be a day, Jesus says, that the Holy Spirit's not just going to be with you. He's going to be in you. He's going to dwell in you. So that's how Jesus can say, I'm leaving, but I'm always with you. And as he sends the Holy Spirit, and as the comforter comes, and even the phrase in Greek when it says another helper has the idea of another helper of the same kind. Jesus, who had been with them, comforted them, taught them, he's saying, listen, the Holy Spirit is going is to come, and he's gonna fill, there's going to be another helper of the same kind. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you abandoned. I'm leaving, but I'm always with you. John chapter 14 and verse 23 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How is this done? It's done through the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us has their home in the life of every single believer. Romans 8, 9, you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Notice the terminology. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So again, we're, we're, you, you just see the Trinity all spursed out you know, through John. And even here in, in Romans, the spirit of God. And then it says the spirit of Christ. We have this promise of the Holy Spirit leap, dwelling within us. John 14, 26. This, you should see this on the screen. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Specifically, this would be fulfilled in a, in a very miraculous way as the Holy Spirit would lead men, some of those who heard these exact words, the Holy Spirit would lead some of them to pen the Gospels and the letters that we read today. As the Holy Spirit would bring, bring remembrance to them. But notice John 15, 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the teachings of Christ as, as he dwells within us. It says, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, I am very thankful, as we talked about earlier, we live in a culture where we, we understand uh, how easy it is to be excluded from different things. I'm going to jump back to Planet Fitness. If you were to go on Planet Fitness's website today, you could get a classic membership for $1 down and less than $10 a month going forward. I don't get any commission if you do that, but that's your classic membership. But if you want to pay $14.99 more, then you can become a black card member. And if you become a black card member, then you have access to the tanning beds, you have access to the water massage thing, you have access to all Planet Fitness locations around the nation, wherever you travel, you can just walk in and say, hey, I'm a black card you know, member. And you can, you can walk in and have all of those perks. So the more money, the greater the access. Think about these terms 
I'm not even going to tell you, you know, a specific company or organization, but I'm going to ask you a question and think about what comes to mind. Are you a gold member? Are you a silver member? Or are you a bronze member? Now, I haven't even told you the company. I haven't even told you the service. But it's so common in our culture, these divisions, that you most likely automatically think, okay, gold, there's got to be some extra perks. Silver's still pretty good. Bronze is good, but not as good as silver and gold. We don't have that with the Holy Spirit. It's not like, okay, the elite Christians, they have access. I mean, they're like the special cohort of, of Christians, and they have greater access to the Holy Spirit. They have 24-7 access to the Holy Spirit. If you're the second level, well, you need to talk to the Holy Spirit Monday through Friday. And if you're in the third level, well, then it's only every other day because, you know, you just, you got to. No, it's not like that. Jesus says, I'm leaving but I'm always with you, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and, and will always be there for you. Thank God for that. That's why this short passage, this very short verse of John chapter 14 and verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then he concludes it again with a very exclusive statement. He says, no one, no person, no individual can come to the Father except through me. Would you bow your heads and Close your eyes as we finish this morning.